COVID-19 finally flipped modern-day thinking about long-term care on its head. The idea that society's most vulnerable should be housed in such close quarters may have forever lost its appeal. Yes. And while I want to recognize immediately that there is a place for nursing home care in our long-term care continuum, I think the pandemic has just given people pause. And I think we are seeing increased calls about, well, maybe we need to look at perhaps keeping mother or dad or grandma home. The pandemic has done that. It has shown a light on what home care is capable of. I think we were the prescription for COVID when you think yes. about it. You know, older people were told they were the most vulnerable to this disease and they were being told stay at home. And there they were. We were keeping them home. We were monitoring their condition. And that's what kept them safe. And I think that's something that's going to be remembered for a long time. From Hammond, Louisiana, this is Home Care America, your weekly dose of news and information from the wonderful world of home care, waiver providers, and ICF IDD operators. It's brought to you by Cura OS, the all-in-one software solution that was forged from 30 years of experience in this industry. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to new listeners out there. Last week on the podcast, the team at Cura discussed the current crises facing caregivers in this country at both a national and a local level with Hurricane Ida, and how these crises represent both challenges and opportunities for the caregivers that are willing to adapt and adopt new innovative solutions. This week on the pod, the team wants to discuss some specific pain points with regulators and compliance, some stories of struggle from their 30 years of experience at Care Incorporated, and how these experiences helped evolve the software solutions at Cura. Here's James Griffith, CEO of Cura. So, you know, as providers, we're always subjected to uh, regulatory visits, auditors dropping in. If you're lucky enough, maybe the attorney general comes in and visits you. And I remember when we started Care Incorporated and the regulators would come in, we were just always so terrified. We're like, what are these guys here to do? And back in back then, God, this guy, Greg, I'll just never forget you know, he was so nice, and he would come in, and he would pull all of our records, and he had his long check sheet, and he was really just, like, checking to make sure that we had all of the things that were required by, you know, our licensing requirements at the time. And generally, he was finished, and he would write up with a few deficiencies that we had, some things that we might have been missing, and... Then he would say, just submit and let me know how you're going to fix these things. And that would be okay. And that's what we would do. And so now we know, though, when the regulators come in, it's generally maybe for the annual audit. And it's no longer where he just asks for a checklist of things. Now they want to go through just like reams of files. They want to see tons of client files and employee files. And then if we're uh, lucky enough to have a complaint against us, or, as is usually the case, we call in and file a complaint because we come across something that is not right, we're subjected to an inquiry, like an inquisition. And here, the, here they come, pulling 
all the records for multiple employees and multiple clients, trying to disguise who the client is they're really looking at. And generally, like I said, we're the ones who made the complaint. And we've just subjected ourselves now to this like open book investigation into every single record, looking for things that have absolutely nothing to do with the complaint, just looking for anything wrong that they can hit us on, maybe recoup some billable time that we've already paid the staff for, or fine us. And I know that uh, at Care Incorporated, when we when the regulators come in, while we know that it's an unpleasant occurrence, we never look forward to it. We know that it's going to tie up two or three of our top people's day for possibly a week. But we know we don't worry about whether or not we have the records that they're looking for. We don't worry about whether or not we're going to be able to meet the regulatory requirements on all of our clients and staff. And it's rare that we ever have any incidents at all. It's rare that we get hit. We generally have zero deficiencies. And... We built Cura OS specifically for providers to be able to bypass or not bypass, I'm sorry, to navigate these regulatory visits with ease and confidence without sleeping, losing any sleep at night, knowing that tomorrow when they show up again, they're going to be able to easily pull anything that they need from our system and satisfy whatever regulatory requirement they're trying to hit you on. I'll never forget at Care Incorporated when the Attorney General came into our office and uh, threatened to arrest our billing director because they were certain that we had committed some three and a half million dollars in fraud. And it cost, oh my goodness, I think we spent about $350,000 that year on attorney's fees to educate the attorney general how our system and how our processes worked as an industry in accordance with Medicaid requirements so that they understood that no fraud had been committed. And we built Cura OS to ensure that when providers are visited by regulators by the attorney general's office or the Department of Employment or DHH that you can satisfy whatever the concerns are because our system has gives you the accountabilities that you need to have as an employer and as a provider to satisfy any accusations that could possibly be made. Compliance is something that all providers think about. We all live 
and work to make sure that we have the right documentation, we have the right information, because we know the next audit is coming, the next state visit is coming, the next subpoena for records is coming. In 2012, Care Incorporated got a subpoena. I got subpoenaed, Bridget, and about billing while we were in the hospital, billing for services while a client is in the hospital. And I knew that we hadn't done that, but at the time, we were doing what's called span date billing. And when you span date bill, you might cover the days that somebody's in the hospital because you're just span date billing. And so I met with the attorney general and they were going to arrest me. (laughs) And it was one of the worst days of my life when that happened because they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't hear what I was telling them. They just knew that we were committing this fraud and they were going to make a million dollars on fines for Care Incorporated. And, And after spending a lot of time and giving them the records, they realized that they were wrong. But it was a scary time. It was a very scary time. And as a result of that, we immediately changed our software to no longer allow for spandate billing. And that's a really good thing for a lot of ways. One is that you bill for the day of the service. And so if you do get audited, it's really easy to show here's the documentation for the units, for the hours, for that day, because it's billed by day. And the other thing is that it, it increases your cash flow. In Louisiana and across the country, you bill in 15-minute increments. And if you're 15 minutes off and you're billing for two weeks, but you're 15 minutes off, your two weeks worth of billing just denied. And then you've got to spend a lot of time trying to figure out where's the 15 minutes. But if you're billing by day, those 14 days pay and the one day denies. And so we immediately made that change in Cura and made sure that we were billing by day for services. The state of Louisiana is actually going to make that eliminate span date billing for our past services starting February 1 of this year. So for a lot of people, that's going to be a big headache for them. If you have Cura, it's easy because you're all, you just go, oh, okay keep going. <laughs> Don't have a problem with that. But what that what that allows is with Cura, not only just that span day, that single day billing, but also with compliance before our old our older version of Cura, I had to copy records and send records and print different things individually by the client. Well, now I love technology because now if we get an audit on somebody, all we have to do is say, here's the client and run a report and it will put in one report their plan of care, their daily progress notes, all the billing information for that date span and all the payroll information in one easy to read report that you email or print or print and scan or whatever and give it to the auditor. So instead of spending hours and days pulling records, making copies, giving people things, all your information is right there in the software and you spend maybe, what, 10 minutes running a report that you print and hand to people. And then you're able to go about your day and keep doing the business of the company. So Cura OS, all of these 
components that work together are really important when it comes to your compliance and your audits because everything is in one place. It's a seamless organized system from the plan of care all the way down to the payroll and the billing. And then the documentation that goes on in between to validate the services you're providing. So now when we get an audit, while it is a little stressful because it always is, you hear the rolly wheels coming and you're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, but with the suitcase or whatever for the auditors coming. But when they come, you've got the documentation to give to them. And so, again, it just alleviates that level of stress that all of us are already dealing with. We don't have to have that to stress us out. We're, we, we worry about other things, not do I have the documentation that I need for when the for when it's asked for, because we know that we do, because it's in Cura OS. Bridget Wilson, Chief Operating Officer of Cura OS. We'll be hearing a lot more from Bridget over many podcasts to come, but that wraps up this episode of Home Care America. Thanks for joining us. At the top of the podcast, we played a brief clip from Vicki Hoke, a longtime advocate of the home care industry and executive director of the Home Care Association of America. Vicki has been making the rounds lately in press and on many podcasts, speaking very eloquently and articulately about the challenges and opportunities facing the home care industry right now in this historical moment, particularly when it comes to how COVID has changed the industry. We'd like to leave you with a longer clip from the post-acute POV podcast hosted by Naveen Gupta. We think you'll find this both compelling and helpful. You know, I think back on that day when they announced that we were absolutely in a pandemic. I remember it specifically. And I think back on that day, it just upended everything this sector of home-based care did as far as our daily operations. We Mm -hmm. truly had to pivot and pivot quickly by, you know, making sure that our agencies that primarily do personal care in people's homes, we had to pivot and make sure that our frontline workers had infectious disease control, understanding and practices. We had to talk about PPE and we never had to do that. So it was like, a huge instantaneous change in our daily operations. Just implementing protocols for care during a pandemic was something that we immediately put out to our agencies. We had so many webinars back to back trying to make sure that our agencies were doing what they needed to do on behalf of not only their clients, but also their caregivers in order Mm -hmm. to keep both of those groups, clients and our caregivers, safe and to prevent the spread of COVID. Well, you know, Naveen, I think we're starting to see that this year in 2021. 730 plans will be providing 3 million beneficiaries with supplemental benefits this year. When I say supplemental benefits, I mean home support, adult day, palliative care. And then there's Mm -hmm. 930 plans covering about 4.3 million beneficiaries who are offering service to the chronically ill under that very special supplemental services. So I think you're going to see that continue. And this is what's prompted an association to focus on recent development two years when Medicare Advantage plans were given the authority to offer these kinds 
kinds of services. Yeah. And I'll never forget when it happened. I had a few call me and say, well, I don't quite understand what you do because it's not medical, yeah. right? How do I evaluate you? And so our association is tackling this right now. We have a data and research committee that's actually looking at benchmarks that home care agencies would all agree to and collect data on those benchmarks so we could come up with some data to show that we really can affect a person's well-being, whether that is, which is what Medicare Advantage plans like, how can we reduce your hospitalization? That's what they're interested in. Yes. And yes. I don't think they understand what four hours of personal care can do to really have an impact on keeping that person out of, out of a hospital or from keeping that person from falling. When that fall happens, we know that initial fall is the start sometimes, yes. right? Of a person going downhill from there, so to speak. So we're looking at establishing metrics, establishing a demonstration project where we can literally have X number of our members agree to collect this data and then to, of course, present it to these Medicare Advantage plans. I think it's only a matter of time. They're going to want to know how do you quantify that you're valuable. It's easy to say we're valuable. Tell me, though, how valuable are you? Tell me how many hospitalizations you have been able to divert because you had a home care aide in that house for four hours a day. Home care is a win-win for both government and for consumers. Everyone wants to be at home, whether they're recuperating from an illness or as they grow older. Yes. And it's a win for government because we know that keeping a person at home is far cheaper than having someone in a nursing home. And unfortunately, Medicaid still considers nursing homes, you know, this is an entitlement under Medicaid deplete your resources mm -hmm. and our country will take care of you, right? Why is it yes. though that it's not considered normal to stay at home as you age? Yes. You know, it goes back to when Medicaid was first established back in the 60s. The only option back then was, right, for older people to go into nursing home when they needed care. We didn't have a lot of options back there. But if fast forward now to 2021, oh my goodness, assisted living, home care, all sorts of options. Yet it's still considered an exception to the rule for Medicaid right. to pay for home care. I always think it's we all need to partner with one another and tear down all those silos. Yes. partners with our sisters and brothers in home health and for that matter hospice you know hospice is at home primarily you are receiving end-of-life care in your home and in my career journey was when I was at my mother I worked I had a home care aide and then when she eventually went on to hospice you know it was here in my home my aide my personal care aide was just an extension of me during that yes. and worked with that hospice nurse or that social worker and that's when, when you can wrap services around a person and they're seamless. Oh gosh, that's the golden. You know, that's when things are gold. When you have that relationship with the family, with the, with the family caregiver, the professional caregiver, and we're all working together. That's what we all have to aim. Yeah. So there's this middle. And again, I think there is such a tie to having a nurse on staff in order to do many, many things Yeah. that I, I see that. Yeah, I think that is going to be happening. And because I think our agencies that are doing this personal care are being asked to do things right now 
now, and this is indicative because we're seeing a lot of states asking to expand the services that they can do. Because let's face it, if a family needs someone to come in to make sure mom is taking the right dose of medicine at the right time, and all of the family members are far away, in order to fill that pillbox and order, that requires a nurse. Yes. Who's going to do that? Is that home health agency going to send that nurse just to do that? I don't think so. 